no longer a slave. <clears throat> we are walking through the book of Exodus, and if you have a Bible, or you want to look it up on your app, we're going to be looking in Exodus chapter 7, actually, we're going to focus on this morning. We're covering quite a few verses. We're actually covering the whole story of Pharaoh, Moses, and, and the, the encounter that Moses had with Pharaoh. We're going to be pulling out one specific aspect of that story this morning. I was thinking back to when I was a kid, and you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have we didn't have cell phones or internet or anything like that. <clears throat> so you had to be pretty imaginative, and so we would imagine all kinds of things. One of the things when I was a kid, I remember we would. Uh, It'd be a group of us, and we'd, we'd imagine something like, for instance, that we had just crashed in the mountains, and we'd all survived the plane crash, and now we had to go out and find food to survive. So we would pull out our jackknives, and we would cut down some popple trees, and we would make spears. We got pretty good with our spears, and so we would roam through the forest and back of my house, having just crashed and survived this airline, uh, this airplane, and we would spear to death food that would keep us alive for the next several weeks. If the spear didn't stick in the ground, it, it didn't count. And so we got pretty good at sticking those spears. One of the things that we noticed was after a few throws into the ground, that the tips would become dull or they would hit things and often the green wood would splinter. So we discovered that if we just built a little fire, took the tip and put it in the fire just long enough so it, if you put it in there so it would start to burn, then the wood would disintegrate. But if you put it in there just long enough before it would start to burn, then you pull it out, cool it right away, put it back in for a little bit, pull it out, that we could harden the tips of our spears and they would last much longer. Well, little did we know that it was a well-known process. It's how they harden steel. You get a knife that's made of hardened steel. It'll keep a sharp edge for a long time. They heat that steel up, and then they bring it back down by quenching it in cool water. Hardening is a helpful process, but it's also a dangerous process when it comes to the human heart. The analogy is uh, a, a very good one. You know, the Word of God says that we can quench the Spirit. You know how you harden something? You get the fire of God and then you quench it. You, you, you're somewhere or someplace or God speaks to you and you, you sense the, just the moving and, 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 as it were, the fire of God's Spirit speaking to you, but then when we, when we quench it, we can do that in a lot of ways. We ignore it. We get busy again. It can result in a hardening of the human heart. So this morning, two things. We're going to see what happens in the life and talk a little bit about this hardening in Pharaoh's heart. And then we're going to, in our application, we're going to ask the question. We're going to be challenged to consider our own hearts today. So here's what happens in the story, and I, 
as I said, this, this account of Moses coming to Pharaoh covers like 5 through 11. There's a lot of chapters here, so we're just going to pull out a piece of it. And but let me just bring us up to speed. In chapter 5, uh, Joe shared with us last week that Moses gave God a new name. The name was But God. But God. And that's not what God said when he said who I am. He said, I'm not but God. He said, I am. Just I am. No buts. So Moses had a lot of buts. He had a lot of excuses when God came to him. He said, but God. But Moses got rid of that name, and he got rid of the but, and he went to Pharaoh. He walked into Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, who are you? And who is this God of yours? You want to go for three days into the wilderness? That's not going to happen. In fact, said Pharaoh, if you've got so much time on your hands that you think you can take a three-day vacation, tell you what, you can get your own straw for the bricks. And by the way, I want you to produce just as many. Now the people had to go out and find the straw, which had been furnished for them before, and so things got harder. Things got much harder. So the people come to Moses. This is literally what it says in the ESV. It says, Moses, you've made us stink before Pharaoh. It was bad enough before. Now it's worse. You just made things worse. So Moses goes to God, saying, God, this isn't working out very well. Until we see that he, God comes to him and he says, okay, now you're going to see what I will do. In fact, he says, not only is Pharaoh going to let you go, Pharaoh's going to drive you out of the land. I'm in chapter 6 now. Go tell the people that I'll deliver them. Moses said, and then I want you to go to Pharaoh. And Moses said, God, I, your own people won't believe me. What makes you think Moses or the Pharaoh himself is going to believe me if, if our own people won't believe? And so we see then we, he, he goes through a lineage of, of the first three sons of Jacob there in chapter 6. Basically say, look, this is who you are. This is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do through you. So we pick it up in chapter 7. And I want you, here's what I want you to listen for this morning. One word this morning. Hardening. The word harden, because it's used multiple times. It's used over 15 times in this account with Pharaoh. So I'm going to read, uh, we'll see how far. I might skip around a little bit, but I'm going to start in chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron should tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. Well, here's the first, you'll see the first usage here. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh... He's telling Moses up front what's going to happen. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by acts of great judgment. And the Egyptians will know I'm the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. Now Moses was 80 years old. And Aaron, 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. 
And so they go in, and, and Moses, they throw down their staffs, and their staffs turn into a serpent, and then the magicians come in, and, and by their secret powers, they're able to do the same thing. Then he tells Moses, and if you notice in verse 14, or back up to, back up to verse uh, 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. So then he goes and he says, put your staff in the Nile. And he touches it in the Nile and all of the water in the land turns to blood. Every pool, every pond, every, every basin, you know, basin that was carrying liquid turned into blood. But we see that the magicians did the same thing. Down in verse 22, chapter 7. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. Why not? Because his heart was hard. Now, when you read through the whole story, as you read on in chapters 8 and 9, you're, you're going to hear this phrase. It's going to say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why would God harden somebody's heart? It's a legitimate question. And so I want you to notice in, in Romans 9, and we're going to read through this, because Paul brings up this question. Because he knows we're going to be thinking it, and so he brings it up. So if you notice in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 9, you see this written, and this is verses 15 to 24. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. But the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you says to me, then why does God blame us? Who resists his will? So what's the answer to that question? Well, God does and doesn't really answer it. He basically says, who are you, old man, to talk back to God? You know, it's kind of like when your kids come to you and you tell them to do something. You say, well, why should I do that? What do you say? <clears throat> because I told you so. I'm your parent, right? I don't have to give you an explanation because of who I am as your parent. I don't, have, you know, I don't owe you an explanation. That's really, in some ways, a little bit of the response here. It's like, who are you to talk back to me? I, I, you know, shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay the same pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God show, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience? Don't miss that line. What if God bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, 
whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So here God is talking about this thing of the hardness of heart. I'm just going to say right up front, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we kind of get a little bit of an idea, but we can't really fully understand. And I, I think it's important to, to realize that English is not God's first language. Okay? I don't know if you've ever been around people that are... Uh, I was at an ESL uh, this last week. ESL group. Uh, There's a bunch of... A number of Mexican people that were learning English. And so, we're, you know, they're, they're, they're learning English. And so they're, you know, they're talking like, today is Thursday. Or today is Monday. What are the days? It's very simple. There's so much that cannot be communicated because their first language is, is Spanish. Now, when the class is over, you should hear them talk. They're just talking back and forth a mile a minute, talking about all kinds of things because they have so much more vocabulary in their first language. <clears throat> what do you think God's language? What do you think God's? If God could fully express everything he did when he created the universe, all the laws of physics, everything else, what do you think that vocabulary would look like? So God is limited to the English right for us unless, you know, whatever it is, God's limited to the language of the people he's speaking to. He's limited to the metaphors and the symbols that we're familiar with. There are metaphors God could use and we'd be scratching our heads going, we have no idea what you're talking about. So God communicates with us in, in a second language, which is for us, it's English. But understand, it's, it's very limited what God can communicate. And so a lot of things we can partially understand, but now we just see like dimly through a glass. I believe one day our minds are going to be renewed and restored to the way they were in the very beginning, and we're not going to be able to believe the capabilities of our mind to comprehend things that are way beyond what we can comprehend now. I think this is one of, again, one of those questions. But we, we look at what we can know and what God has communicated. And so here's what I discovered. You know, I, I, I understand the question. It's like God is fixing the game so someone will lose. Is that what happened with Pharaoh? Was it really fair to Pharaoh that God hardened his heart? Well, here's what I, I found as I just read through this. One of the things I did was I, I decided to look at the full context of, of Romans. And so I just read ahead a little bit because he continues out of chapter 9. And I want you to notice here what he says. This is Romans 11, 30 and 32. This is kind of at the end of this long discussion about all of this. And listen to what he says. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have, now listen to this, mercy on all. That includes Pharaoh. Oh, the depth of his riches, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, inscrutable his ways. Um, so verse 32, God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So God has mercy on all people. Did he have mercy on Pharaoh? Sure he did. 
fact, if you, if you were to read ahead a little bit in, in chapter 9, verse 15, he says, By now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilences, and you would have been cut off from the earth. God is saying, you know what, Pharaoh, you, you should have been toast a long time ago. But God chose mercy. God always demonstrates mercy on all people. That's one of the truths that we read over and over again in the Bible. Now, in, in Exodus 3, he starts out in verse 3, or Exodus chapter 7, he starts out in verse 3 and he says, I, Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That's something I will do. But then for the next seven times, the next seven times that he mentions hardening, it, God doesn't say, it doesn't say he hardened Pharaoh's heart. It says, it says Pharaoh's heart was still hard. Pharaoh's heart was still uh, hardened. And it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So one of the things we know is that apart from God, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then there's an interesting shift because halfway through these, this story, all of a sudden towards the latter half, it starts saying, and now God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh hardens his heart, and God hardens his heart. So here's what we see. Well, here's what we don't see. You can't, you can't find one example in Scripture of God coming to someone with a soft, seeking, searching heart and hardening that heart. The context, every time you read, whether it be a king or Pharaoh, whatever, when, when you see God, it says harden their heart you'll see there's a context of a long history of a previous hardened heart. So here's, the, here's my conclusion, is that God hardens an already hardened heart. You've you probably heard the saying, the same sun that, smel- that, that melts the snow does what? Hardens the clay, right? The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. So if you have a soft heart, God will soften it even more. If you have a hard heart, when God shines, like with Pharaoh, God shown his mercy into his life by sparing him through each one of these plagues. Pharaoh's not destroyed, though God could have destroyed him. God even uses his mercy and patience here to allow, we see that God uses that to harden Pharaoh's heart even farther. And why would God extend these plagues and and cause Pharaoh's heart to be hardened even more? Because God, he tells us, one day your grandchildren are going to hear this story and, and I am choosing to demonstrate my power and my glory through this story in the life of Pharaoh. Well, what about us? I want to take these last few minutes and I want to talk about us. What does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with me? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, These things happened as examples. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So there's something that we are to learn from this. And I think the warning is very clear that you and I can harden our hearts we can be in danger of this process of the hardening of the heart. 
And so what I'd like to do, just spend the, the remainder of our time, we're going to go over to the New Testament book of Hebrews, and we're going to look at the Hebrew writer's reflection back on this story in Exodus. So I invite you to turn there with me. We're also going to read it. It will be up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 7, or chapter 3, excuse me, verses 7 through 19. So here's the application story for us. We're bringing it now out of the Old Testament. We're bringing it into the New Testament church and into the life of the believer. Beginning here with verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, I'll tell you, this is is going to be applicable to us today. If you hear the voice of God today speaking to you through his word, this is going to be applicable to you. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. They said they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. So, here's the warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. As it's written, here it is again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, to whom he did swear they would never enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. So, a couple of dangers I, I just like to, you to think about with me. Two dangers. <clears throat> the first one is, is the danger of remaining in Egypt. The danger of remaining in Egypt. Of saying no to the gospel and of refusing to repent, which means basically to to surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus. Now you, I mean, you can you can be in a church for many 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 years and and still be in Egypt, still not having left the old ways, not having departed, not having come through the the blood that was on the doors. And so, remaining in Egypt, a person can harden their hearts to the gospel. Jesus said in the end of of time, there'll be many that come and say, Lord, Lord, you know, and Jesus will say, I never knew you. you, you never left Egypt. I w- it was interesting, I w- when we were up in uh, Rozo, there was a pastor who had, he had stepped out of one church and he was kind of with us for a while and he got an opportunity in War Road, 
Minnesota to pastor a little congregational church there. They didn't have a pastor. They couldn't find one to go up to War Road. Um, I don't know if it was too cold up there or what, but they couldn't get a pastor up there. So he took that church. Well, they, they had a denominational leader that they sent to visit with him to make sure that his theology was in order enough so that he could pastor there. So after the session, I, I, I talked with this pastor friend of mine. I said, well, how'd it go? He said, you're not going to believe. He said, we spent, he said, we, he spent an hour with me talking about the congregational theology stuff. And he said, then I spent an hour with him talking about the gospel. He said, at the end of the hour, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ. This is a denominational leader in the denomination now. So, so just because people sit in the church doesn't necessarily mean that they have left Egypt, that they have surrendered their life to the person of Christ. The writer says, today, if, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, don't, don't harden your heart. So if you're here today and, you know, the, your Christian life is mainly about what you do or you don't do or about going to church or doing that, and, and you have never opened your life up to the Lordship of Christ and, and fully accepted salvation in Christ alone, then, then you need to quit saying no to that. You need to leave Egypt, and you need to, to come to this land that God has for you, this promised land. That's, that's the picture here. See, the picture is Israel leaves Egypt, goes to the promised land, and the picture for us is, for you and I, Egypt is our old way of life. It's our old way of thinking. It's our old heart. It's our old patterns. And so we're being called out of Egypt, and we're call, being called to this new land, uh, new thinking, you know, to put aside the, the addictions and the negative thinking and the self-centeredness and the appetites of the flesh and, and all that is part of the old and, and moving to this place God has. But there's a second danger, and the second danger is that we might leave Egypt, but we might not get out of the wilderness. I, I would call this, we could end up being wilderness Christians, wilderness Christians. So we could fail, the, 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 or here's, here's the first one, we could, be, we could be wilderness Christians, we could remain in the wilderness, we could end up just circling around in disobedience like the Israelites did for 40 years. They were still the people of God. God still watched over them. Their shoes didn't wear out. He provided for them. But because of the hardness of their hearts, they didn't experience what God had for them. So there's a couple, uh, a couple of things he mentions here under this second danger. Here's the first one. The first is that we, a warning that we, that we could harden our hearts in response to the trials along the way. We could harden our hearts in response to the trials along the way. And the primary key word here for that is distrust. Distrust. Now, we all know what this is about. You ever been in a tough situation? Something you didn't ask for? Something you, didn't, you weren't praying for? Something that was hard in your life, and you began to have questions of doubt come into your mind. I mean, I think if we were honest, 
We've all been there. And we go, God, are, are you really with me in this? I've been in that place more than once where I said, God, are you really with me? You know, you know what it says in, in the New Testament? It talks about the sin at Meribah when the people rebelled. And when it talked, if you go to that Old Testament passage, you know what it says in the end of the passage? It says, it says, the people said, is God really with us? Is God really with us? So here, they leave Egypt. They're out in the wilderness. God's taking them somewhere. And along the way, it gets hard. That happens, doesn't it? It gets hard. And they're, they don't have water. And their kids are thirsty. And they're all crying. And, and things aren't looking good. And they're going, what'd you do, Moses? Bring us out here. Did God bring us out here to kill us all? That's kind of a statement of distrust, isn't it? Begin to harden their hearts against the promise that God made that he's going to get us where he needs us to be. I, I had an experience this week. I was, in, I was out east and um, <clears throat> I had some interesting experience with getting around out in, from New York to New Jersey. One of the problems was I didn't realize there were two Farmingdales. One in New York and one south in New Jersey. That will create problems. Um, I'm like three seconds from getting on a train and the guy next to me says, your ticket's taking you to, to northern New York. I, if you want to go to New Jersey, you better not get on that train. So that was one of about a... I, I ended up discovering the entire train system in all of New York. Uh, at one point, I was so lost, I, I walked out and I peeked out the door and there was a little marquee, uh, not a little, there was a marquee sign and said, Madison Square Gardens. Going, okay, I guess I'm downtown New York right now. And so I'm, I'm trying to get down to this conference, and one of the things I really wanted to do was be a part of uh, this church has, has reached out in the communities and started little micro churches. They're kind of like discipleship outreaches groups and and. and so we were in the evening on Tuesday night, we're going to be a part of them. So the conference starts at 3. It's now, it's now quarter after 6. I'm still on the train. And I'm traveling, but I'm not going to Farmingdale. I'm going to Belmar, which is 20, about 45 minutes east of the church. And the, uh, the groups, the microchurches start in about 30 minutes. So it's obvious I'm not making it, right? And I start asking myself the question, am I supposed to be here? Did I, did I miss this? Does, does God really... Um, I thought I was supposed to be here, but this doesn't, it doesn't... Everything seems to be going wrong. And they think, well, maybe it's just spiritual warfare or something going on, and like spiritual warfare is going to defeat the Lord, Right? Anyway, I had a call into the church, and of course I couldn't get any answer at the church, and finally at 6.30, I get a call. It's from the church. I said, look, I'm on this train. I'm ending up in Belmore in about 15 minutes, and I realize these groups are starting in less than half an hour, and I don't know, do you have, is there anything going on north or east of, of Farmingdale? He said, where are you? I said, I'm in Belmore. He said, there's a microchurch in Belmar. I got off the train, and it was four blocks from the station. 
It was an ESL. It was a microchurch in an ESL group. So there's a lady who had a vision to start taking people who are learning English as a second language to create kind of a family atmosphere to teach them English and then study, uh, study a passage from the Bible and begin to do studies. And there were, it started with two and there were now eight of them in there. Their kids were coming. And it, it, was, it was a pretty cool thing. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think I was supposed to be in Belmar. And I wouldn't be surprised if two years from now, there's somebody in this church or somebody God will bring here that's running a discipleship group in an English second language group in this community. You know there are people in this community that are learning English as a second language? What a great opportunity to provide that free of charge and to bring the gospel and to bring the word of God into that environment. All that to say this, It's really easy for us when things start going wrong or things are getting hard and trials come, it's easy for us to distrust. And when we do that, we begin to harden our hearts against the trustworthiness of God. And we begin to grumble and we begin to complain and we begin to wish maybe we were back in Egypt. You know, I think it's interesting. James 1 verses 12 through 18. Notice what James does here. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Because when he stood the test, now notice, trials are tests. The trials are tests. What are they tests of? It says, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So here's how I, I believe why this all, he starts talking about temptation. I think when trials come, we are being tested to see if we will trust God. And it's in that trial that temptations become very profound in our lives. I think anytime there's a trial, there's a temptation. To no longer believe God, to, to no longer believe God is, is, has our best interest in mind, that, that God is going to be there for us. And so we see here the first warning in trials, in hard times. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. God has said he, he, he is going to, he is trustworthy. Don't harden your heart against that truth. And here's the second one. We don't want to remain as wilderness Christians. Well, we do that if we fail, you know, when we fail to enter into the promised land God has given us. You know, the people were there. God had a place for them to move into, <clears throat> much better than the wilderness, But it's almost like it was too good to be true. Or maybe there were some obstacles between them and that. Whatever it was, they chose not to believe that God could do that. And so the the key word here in this one is unbelief. Unbelief. When we don't believe what God has promised in his word to us, we, we harden our hearts. And most of the disobedience in our lives, if you trace it back, You'll trace it back to unbelief. A lot of the disobedience in our lives can be traced back to lies that we believe. Lies that God wasn't trustworthy. Lies that God didn't have our best interest in mind. Lies that something out here, the deceitfulness of sin, 
You know, God says, this is not going to satisfy it for you. But we harden our hearts, and we think it will, and of course, it doesn't. But we can trace it back to unbelief in our lives. Whenever we're not obedient to the Word of God and to the voice of God, we harden our heart against it. And we, something happens in our hearts as we, as we harden our hearts. One of, the, one of the challenging things for me at the conference I was at this week, it isn't the first time I've heard it, but it keeps coming back, is that the American church seems to be kind of knowledge, more, sometimes more knowledge-based than obedience-based. In other words, we'll come and we'll listen, we'll, we'll buy tapes and read books and hear sermon series, and we love to hear and hear and hear, but does our obedience match our learning? And so when, when God speaks to us, when we hear His voice, as it says here, do we harden our hearts against that? Or, or are we doers of that? You know, Jesus said, here's the people that build their houses on a, on a rock. You know the story of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Well, how do you build on the rock? Well, we often say, you know, if you build your life on Jesus Christ, you're building on the rock. If you don't, you're not. But that's not what really, that's not the point of what Jesus says. Jesus says, you know who are people that build on the rock? People that hear my words and, and what? Do it. The people that build their lives on the rock are people that are doers of my word, not just hearers. And so when we hear but we don't do, we harden our hearts. And, and thus, the, thus the admonition. That's why James says in James 1, and again, I, <clears throat> I love this word, it says, do not merely listen to the word, and so notice what happens when you just listen to the word. You deceive yourself. You think, because I'm coming to hear the Word, and I'm learning the Word, and I'm, I'm reading, and I'm doing this, that I am maturing and growing. Well, we can deceive ourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says, like the man who looks at his face in the mirror, and afterward, looking at himself, goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to... Do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. What has God called us to? He's called us to be ambassadors, as if God were making his appeal to us, to a lost world. The Great Commission, go and make what? Disciples. So who are you making as a disciple? How are, you, how are you doing that in your life? How am I doing that in my life? Are we doing what the Lord has called us to do? Are we making disciples in our homes, in our church, in, in our world? Our time's up. You know, we're talking about change here. And some of us are nervous about change, especially when we don't know what it is. The unknown's always scary. 
I think we're thinking about, when we think about change, I think we're thinking about, so we're going to change the service, or we're going to change this, or we're going to change that. And I don't think that's what it's about. In fact, as I've been praying and thinking about this, <clears throat> the Lord has showed me what needs to change around here. And I'm going I'm to show you what it is. You know what else needs to change? Uh, together, it's us. God wants to change us. You know what? When he changes us, everything else will change. We don't change everything out there, so it will, no. God works in us, and then what God is doing in us often cannot be contained by the wineskins we have created. So I want to invite you as over the next couple months as we we're talking about moving, I, I want you to think about where God wants you to move in your heart, in your heart. I need to think about where God wants me to move in, in my heart. Let's pray. Father, I want to just conclude our time this morning by just, uh, just, <clears throat> just for a moment. Just inviting all of us, inviting you to just shine your light into our hearts. Lord, are there some hard things in our hearts? Are there, are there ways in which our heart is not soft and yielding and pliable? Are there fears? Are there pleasures? Are there lies? Are there things that keeping us from believing you and trusting you and just wholeheartedly moving into the land, uh, moving through the wilderness into the promised land that you have. Father, if there's something you want some of us to hear today, I, I know that you can speak to us. And I can't help but remember these words we just read today. If we hear your voice, uh, may we not harden our hearts as they did in the wilderness. But Father, might we just, uh, might you make our, our hearts soft and supple and shapeable uh, like soft clay in, in this season so that, so that we can experience the land that you have for us. Thank you for your word to us today. And uh, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.